welcoming you to Be In The Know, where we muse with the great and the good afforded pitch side views of the best of the Premier League action. We look back at the day the Emirates got its mojo back. Just when things couldn't get better for Arsenal fans, we have the Arsenal fans' favourite. Actually, Crossy couldn't make it. David Allstein's <laughs> with us, the football correspondent at The Athletic. will put Sunday into words for us. Yeah, it was it was a massive day for Arsenal. Um, I'd probably caution it, and sorry to be a killjoy Arsenal fans out there, by saying I thought the celebrations were a little bit over-exuberant. It was only three points, ultimately. And Arsenal fans have seen what um, those massive celebrations have done in the past and come back to haunt them. If you think of Leicester in the season, they won it, went on to win the title when Arsenal beat them on Valentine's Day. And um, I vividly remember them doing a lap of honour. And it was similar scenes of jubilation yesterday. And, and you fear for them that photos being of, uh, of the whole squad and staff in the dressing room are going to be pinned up. Um, in the dressing rooms of rival teams such as Tottenham for the reverse fixture. However, that's that's my killjoying over because they deserve to celebrate after um, all of the uh, stress and pressure they've been through. It was a real relief for Mikel Arteta, the release at full time. Uh, you could see it in him. It was, um, it was magnificent from an Arsenal perspective. Um, and I just think they need to make sure that they don't get caught up in the hype and they go and follow it up with three points in their next game and use it as a, a launch pad um, for better times ahead because it was a brutal start to the season. And I felt coming into the game that although they had taken baby steps towards recovery against Norwich, Burnley and uh, AFC Wimbledon, they needed, or Arteta specifically needed, a, a kind of landmark victory, a seminal moment to um, show that this revival uh, had the potential to be real and sustained and yeah he'd had big victories Chelsea in the FA Cup final in his first season in charge and and a couple of other big wins but this was his biggest in front of fans um his first North London derby with with a with a crowd and uh it felt in recent days leading up to it that the tide was turning among Arsenal fans a lot of positivity coming out of Arteta and the club a bit of momentum building and then to cap it with that performance and result um, was a big moment for them, but it will count for nothing unless they um, maintain the momentum. Talking about counting for nothing, you're hearing a bit of background news. That is the glamour of a hotel reception. Paul Hurst's flown into Paris. What a beat for you. Manchester United and Manchester City reporter for the Times. Talk us through Old Trafford after that amazing homecoming from Ronaldo. What was the sense of the fans as they left the game this weekend? I just think this this run now, three defeats against pretty weak opposition, has kind of turned the tide a little bit. I think you look at the you know the euphoria after the Leeds game, the Newcastle game. Uh, Ronaldo's homecoming, etc. Um, all the fans were so excited about what was to come, but United on Saturday just didn't look like they had a plan at all. It was just so poor that it ended with Bruno's penalty, which was just uh, it's the last thing you'd expect from him, such a, a very, uh, such a good penalty taker um, historically. Um, I just think this this run now, three defeats in, in four games against pretty weak opposition has kind of turned the tide a little bit. I think you, you look at the you know the euphoria after the Leeds game, the Newcastle game, uh, Ronaldo's homecoming, etc. Um, all the fans were so excited about what was to come, but 
United just didn't really have any ideas, and it was, you know, they just looked as if they were going to try to pass it, clip it over the top, hope that Greenwood does something, and you know that doesn't really look like a long term plan. Um, I, I think the the biggest problem they've got is in midfield at the moment. I think Fred and McTominay do have a uh, can be used um, as a two and play quite well against certain opposition. But when you're going to have most of the ball, I just think it's a bit of a waste. You broke it down really nicely. The United's midfield mal- malfunction. Really good piece to look at tactically there. Um, you did say talking about sacking a manager at the moment, who's sort of one point off the top, would be absurd, but. The excuses Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made post-match, that is a man under pressure, isn't it? I just thought it was, you know, sometimes there's a, there's merit in just saying, yeah, we weren't a better team and we deserve to lose. Um, I, I think he probably should have just said that, really. Yeah, obviously, he's not on, under pressure at the moment. You know, he's, the board have backed him, back his kind of ideas. But if you look at the table, it does look good. Um, it, but it could look a lot worse because you look at their fixtures after the international break. I think it's Leicester, Man City, mm. uh, Spurs, Chelsea, and then a double header against Atlanta as well. Nizar Kinsella, two calls Chelsea shunted out of cruise control by City. You are the Chelsea correspondent for goal. You did question Tuchel afterwards about Lukaku's involvement. He put it all down to the midfield. So we know him so well. He makes those Brutal changes at half-time. Everyone was shocked about it when he came from PSG. Said that's just normal. So why didn't he bring in Kai at half-time? Yeah, I mean, it could have been an option. I think three in a row before this game where he's made that half-time call. And, and you know, when you make those half-time substitutions, it can be quite a, you know, sort of blow to the players that are coming off. It can hit their morale. But, you know, he's, he's, he's always taken the ruthless, hard decisions at Chelsea and um, tactically... They always seem to come off, but um, I think the Man City game was quite interesting where we maybe saw for one of the first times where a Chelsea side was dominated under Thomas Tuchel, lost control of the match, um, and maybe even Pep Guardiola tactically outthought um, Thomas Tuchel. You know, and, and Tuchel's one who won three in a row against Guardiola before that. He was going for an unprecedented fourth. No one's ever done that versus a Guardiola team. Um, and yeah, Pep, Pep came up with the answers. It was um, a sensational performance from them. But equally, you know, Chelsea going for that sort of defensive formation, 3-5-2 uh, with, um, you know, an extra holding midfielder in there. Um, it felt a bit negative. It set a negative tone. And that coupled with Man City just being on it on the day, I think that, you know, we saw the game get away from Chelsea very quickly. Um, they should have been out of sight, really, I thought. Um, you know, should have easily been 2-0 down. Um, but just for individual defending and, and, and great goalkeeping as well. Um, they hung in there and, and could have maybe nicked a point in the end, but it would have been completely against the run of play. Man City totally deserved it. It's a little bit of a wake-up call for Chelsea because, you know, all the press has been so positive around the club um, that, you know, it's just a reminder that Chelsea aren't, you know, they might still be title favourites of some, but Man City are there and it's going to be a tough title race with, you know, probably four big contenders um, and, and Man City really made a statement and, and Chelsea are looking at, at some of their weaknesses and, and maybe, you know, that substitution could have come sooner. But actually, you know, Havertz didn't change the game that much and, and Man City still dominated really from minute one to minute 90. So um, there's a lot of soul searching to do for me now um, in these big games and, and it maybe leaves a question mark about how teams can get at Chelsea in the future as well. Uh, David Ornstein, I thought I'd take a look at your column this morning um, and 
then you broke the internet. Um, not the 39th game. The Premier League are not proposing a 39th game. They're proposing a meaningful match. I believe Gary Neville's not very happy with you. <laughs> yeah, Gary uh, has voiced his displeasure on Twitter just before we started recording. And yeah, a bit of context for this. The Premier League are understandably looking at long-term uh, growth options for uh, ways in which the Premier League can get bigger, the revenues can um, improve, and that will hopefully trickle down to the clubs and allow them to invest in players and infrastructure and salaries, which all of us as as fans want. Um, and they will always have a number of different options that they're looking into and discussing. Um, and we're not saying it's going to happen anytime soon, if at all. It would take a lot of careful planning and a lot of steps to go through to make it any kind of reality. Uh, starting with, as a first step, um, sort of enhanced pre-season tournaments in maybe the USA, uh, even as early as 2022. Um, I think they've identified the Premier League, some key areas for strategic growth, and that's America, China, uh, Indonesia, India, and Brazil. And they see huge potential. It's a valid talking point, And I do think we need to show respect here to the global fans as much as your immediate reaction when you're in England and we have a bit of a, a tunnel vision. And understandably so, I don't say that in a disrespectful way. Many of us are the ones who go to the stadiums and pay the season ticket costs and, and that sort of thing. And we don't want to see change. But at the same time, we want to see development and bigger signings and things. And those fan bases, if you speak to any executive, whether fans listening to this like these executives or not, they have been saying for years that you don't understand how vociferous the support is for the Premier League clubs around the world. They want to share of the pie. They, they, they pay huge money for TV subscriptions, for merchandise. Um, and they are very much the same, if not even more um, vocal in their support than many of the fans on these shores. So I do think we need to um, sometimes take a, a broader perspective of some of these things and consider all, all options. But um, I don't think that will placate many fans when, when they read stories like this, especially off the back of the um, collapsed European Super League proposal. Nizar, you were at um, Stamford Bridge on the day that the clubs pulled out of the Super League. Those incredible scenes, you know, Chelsea fans saying, look, we're in this, but we don't want to be if it means that Accrington Stanley aren't with us too. It was it was a, quite a special moment. We've got clubs at the moment saying they don't want FIFA being every two years. Uh, FIFA will be pushing back on this and saying, oh, hang on a minute, you're trying to find your own ways to make money as well. Yeah, yeah, that's it really. There's a lot of these uh, battlegrounds for revenues now um, and the Premier League's in a really great position where the product is um, really well sold overseas. You know, it's in the English language as well. Um, and then, yeah, you've got the UEFA and FIFA aspects with the Super League. Um, and there's all these, um, you know, these these levers and, and bits of influence being pushed and pulled. Um, and we're kind of waiting to see where the lay of the land might, might end up now, really, because we've seen, you know, the Super League was, uh, you know, about these big clubs, the big six in England, plus some big clubs overseas um, trying to get, you know, uh, some of these revenues that UEFA have um, and, and push the game further in their interests. And, um, yeah, we're seeing um, UEFA and FIFA battlegrounds. A lot of David's stories are, uh, are leaning into this area at the minute as well. So it is interesting to see 
um, all these different proposals with with Arsene Wenger as well. Um, you know, pushing for um, you know the 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 the. The World Cup every two years, so um, I'm not sure where it's going to end up. Really, we've also got the FIFA Club World Cup to come as well. The uh, the new format with the expanded, um, you know, Club World Cup that's probably going to be played in China. Football is changing, um, and and we've seen a lot of revenues that a lot of clubs um, fall through the floor as well. You know, we've got problems in the Championship. Um, we've got problems across Europe. Barcelona is a massive. Um, alarm bell for us all um, and yeah it is interesting to see you know these kind of political battles come out but I don't feel like we're we're at a point where we can actually see um, outcomes of it um, and you know in the middle of all this we've got the problem with the players as well every single player every single manager says we're playing too much it's going to reduce the quality of the product and and you need to get the balance right you know from natural you know talent perspective what we're selling is watching games with cristiano ronaldo in and that's basically you know where where the balance needs to lie as well is is making sure that people like him can perform and entertain us well let's look to what we saved by uh, making sure the super league didn't have happen the champions league Nizar, um, a big night in Turin for Tuchel's men. Um, a big warning from that performance. We were talking about Havertz earlier, but the player that Chelsea really needed versus Man City was Mason Mount because they needed that link player between the midfield and attack, a guy who can defend and sacrifice himself for the team as well. Um, Mason Mount does all that. He's a great tactical player. He can shift in-game. He can play five... I remember one game he played five positions in a in a single match, so... Um, he, he's he's a great tactical player for these kind of games in, in the big ones. They wish they had him for the Man City game as well. Um, in fact, he's not been in great form, but I still think he's a massive player for Chelsea, even when he's not in, in top form. Um, so, yeah, I think that that, that could be um, a bit of a loss for Chelsea in this game. Um, keep in mind, Reese James is injured as well. Um, there's kind of a belief it's a high ankle um, sprain, which can be a month to two months out. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of concern around that and, and wing-back being one of Chelsea's weaker positions as well. So, I know Juve have a couple of players out too, but, um, yeah, if Mount and James are out for this game, there may be um, a boost for Juventus. And, and yeah, um, it's interesting. Those two academy players have become such big players already at Chelsea. Tough for Allegri, no Dybala, no Morata. Devastating not to be involved against Chelsea. Uh, Delict though in that side, and I want to talk about Chiesa. I can't be the only one that has a massive sporting crush on him. I know there was rumour and speculation of him going to Chelsea, but any chance of him coming into the English game? Because what a winger. Chiesa, yeah. I mean, at the Euros, he was um, absolutely exceptional. Um, you know, and he, he's, he's a second-generation football star, um, you know, following the footsteps of his father, doing the same celebrations, winning a tournament, albeit over, you know, our lot in England, a bit of heartbreak for us. But, yeah, I mean, technically sensational. There was rumours of Chelsea being interested in the summer, but um, I don't think that really went very far at all. Um, but, yeah, he's certainly a guy Juventus should be building around. I don't know if they actually are building around him, really. Um, I think there's a bit of controversy about how, how Allegri's using him, what system he's playing. Um, he's not quite got the balance right in his early time there. Um, these injuries won't help either with, with Dybala and Morata out. Um, you know, Morata's been an absolutely massive player for him in the early spell. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Chiesa's just an entertainer, um, a, a sensational footballer who 
who who could be a deciding factor in this game in Turin. Um, but you know, you've got the likes of Moise Ken. He's going to play up front on loan from Everton. Um, it's incredible to think that Juventus have replaced a Cristiano Ronaldo with a lone E from Everton Football Club. Um, but that's what's happening in this match. And um, it just shows you as well, you know, we were talking a lot about Super League, the finances in football and all this kind of thing. And and this is one symptom of it. It's that Ronaldo goes to Manchester United um, and, and they, they replace him with a Moise Keane. And, and, you know, he could grow into a great talent still, in my opinion. But um, certainly um, Chelsea, what they're going to line up with is going to be uh, a lot more impressive than than what Juventus line up with. So um, for me, even with Mount out, even with Reese James out, I still see Chelsea as weirdly favourites. And it just shows you the sort of balance of power shifting in Europe between some of these top clubs and the Premier League clubs as well. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of people frame it as it's PSG plus the Premier League four for the Champions League. A lot of people are saying these guys are the main contenders and and um, it would actually surprise me if there's not two Premier League clubs in the Champions League semi-final this season. That's that's how strong these teams are now. Um, and, you know, I think that I put Chelsea ahead of, of Juventus, even with Chiesa as a star player. Hersey, I'm going to ask you about um, Manchester United, of course. Villarreal, the team that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tactics came under such scrutiny, of course, in the Europa League final, equally in the semi-final of the year before. The same same questions being asked. I, I think the, you know, the Villarreal game in the, in the Europa League final was was one of all his lower points because I remember you were there as well, weren't you? you were just like looking at the bench and just waiting for him to bring on a player um, when you know the eleven on the which couldn't stand up, they were so tired. But he just didn't bring any subs on at all right until the end. Um, and he's not got that excuse now. You know, you look at the bench then, and it adds, you know, Brandon Williams, uh, Ahmad Diallo, who are, you know, talented young players, but they're not, you know, they're not sort of, you know, Rashford or, or Greenwoods or, you know, people like Jesse Lingard. So he's got, he's got a massive squad. I think it's 32 players in his squad. So... It should be able to compete on, you know, in every competition. Um, so, you know, he, he probably will make a few changes on on Wednesday, and they will be expected to beat Villarreal because that group is quite an easy group when you compare it to the others. Uh, David, um, you've just moved into a new house that I believe has sheep next to it. I'm not saying which house you've moved into, but not I've got Cristiano I've got to Ronaldo's ask... level of wealth. Yeah, no, I can't believe it. Um, but I, I want to ask you: Are you asking the questions yet of of old of of Manchester United? Are they looking for alternatives? Have you got to that point? No, they're not uh, looking for alternatives, to my knowledge. They are backing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and building around and with him. Um, they handed him a new three-year contract in July with an option of a fourth year. Um, I don't have any information to suggest there's any break clause or anything in that because uh, he had kind of earned the right in their mind, clearly the hierarchy anyway. Uh, whether all of the fans agreed with that is a different matter, but he's taken them on a, an eventual progress, a path towards progress. The first season he was placed in temporary charge, of course. He was only a caretaker manager, December 2018. And uh, I think it was 14 wins in 17 or something like that, Hursty, And that earned him a three-year contract. Um, uh, they did finish 32 points off the top, sixth place. The next season they got closer. I think it was third place, but 33 points off the top. Uh, but that 
was then the point at which progress started to be made because they closed the gap to 12 points last season, reached the Europa League final. Um, and clearly the players, or most of them, like him. Otherwise, you'd be found out very quickly at a club like Man United. Um, and we get to this point now where they started brilliantly in terms of results, but as Hursty pointed out earlier, not in terms of performances. Gary Neville's been quite critical in saying that a team that's playing like United are playing are not going to win the Premier League title. Um, there will be scrutiny, of course, and, and the run of fixtures is pretty brutal. And things can turn very quickly, especially for a manager who is not untouchable in the level of uh, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, maybe Thomas Tuchel as well. And there are some in the industry that just aren't having Solskjaer, some in the Man United fan base just aren't having him. They look back to his time at Mulder and Cardiff and um, his his overall trophy record of of uh, losing 18 competitions, I think it is, since he took uh, permanent char- or since he took charge. Um, and United haven't won a trophy since 2017. They've invested more than half a billion pounds since then. So all of those factors mean that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to deliver this season. And when you bring Cristiano Ronaldo into the club, uh, it's for win, a win-now mentality. It's not to win in three, four, five years' time. Um, so while I think they are building with him and around him and see him as part of their vision and are very heavily involving him in recruitment decisions, um, he does need to step up. And if United aren't at the very least challenging seriously for major silverware this season, I think he could be in a spot of bother. Um, Paul, I guess you you would back that up, but are there any managers you're thinking could come in and tactically tweak things a little quicker? I agree with what David said. I think if you know, he's got to be challenging for competitions, hasn't he? You know, he's, he, I, for me, the most disappointing loss was the West Ham one in the League Cup. You, know, you change the entire team, you give these eleven players a chance to prove their worth, and they were just um, so poor and so flat. So, does that mean that they're not motivated? You know, when they come into the team um, because they're not playing regularly, or is it because they because they don't do they not understand the kind of tactics? Um, etc. Um, I, I, I think if you're looking at managers on the market, there's not that many knocking around now, is there? Antonio Conte, um, you know, would be a uh, yeah. Dan. I know, People which is crazy given his uh, Champions League record, isn't it? But I'd, he's, I don't know, is he, you know, has he been actively kind of putting himself out there for jobs? You know, does he kind of think that he's, you know, Real Madrid and that's it? You know, well, I generally don't know, but Conte would be, uh, you know. Uh, you know, he would be, a, a, you know, a good appointment if they did make a change. Not that they they look like they're going to do that anytime soon. Um, but you've also got to factor in that, like the style of play at United, it's such an important um, factor. Um, I know that before they appointed um, Solskjaer, they were they were looking at um, uh, Tuchel, and he, he would have been for me. He would have been a great appointment. Um, he was available at the time as well. So. Um, so yeah, but that, he's obviously not on the market now. Um, so it's uh, it's it's a very kind of fine line that United have got to tread. Really, you can't, you can't be getting to sort of like February, March, and being sixth in the league out of the FA Cup, and maybe not in the Champions League either. They just wouldn't accept that. You can't, you can't, you can't accept that if you're the Man United board with you know Cristiano Ronaldo and your team and Rafael Varane at centre half. So it's. It, the pressure has gone up, gone up on Ollie quite a lot this season. We um, have I've managed to take up the whole hour on the first half, so we're going to, have to get, get 
through the weekend's action. Um, so we're going to go into the break. Bless you all. And we're going to get Paul Hurst a coffee. What an absolute trooper. Um, but I have to ask, but I have to ask you, first of all, for your copy casualty, it's our little um, game of a, a prize of pride of who puts out the best one. But Nizar, to you, something that you've seen in recent weeks in the game that you haven't been able to cram into your copy or you, you think our uh, listeners would enjoy? Well, I, I just I just think it's nice going down to the um, stadiums now and, and you can sort of go in the press room and, and meet people and all this. So um, it's really nice that we've got that back now. The sort of COVID pandemic restrictions are relaxed on us and, and yeah, I mean, the last game I was at, uh, we had Gianfranco Zola sat right in front of me. Um, it was great to see him at the match. I hadn't seen him for a long while. And, and Joe Cole was the row in front. So um, I was I was chatting to them a little bit. And then Joe Cole was trying to recruit Zola for his uh, five uh, for his Sunday league football team in in the in non-league. Joe Cole still plays. He's one of them. So uh, yeah, he was he was genuinely seemingly trying to trying to get him down there and I could just imagine a bunch of hungover blokes turning up to a football match and and uh, playing against those two up front it'd be quite a quite a tricky little uh, match match up there wouldn't it so yeah it was um you know when you go to these big games it's like a, a who's who really of of like legends in the in the press box and stuff so I just thought that was quite a quite a fun one and and you know being a Chelsea reporter they're two of the absolute nicest people I've ever met doing my job as well so I just thought it was lovely to see that. So, yeah, not really one for my copy, but, um, yeah, I think one that the listeners will enjoy. I'd buy a ticket for that five-a-side team. Um, <laughs> um, Orny, for you, what's something you couldn't cram into your column? Yeah, Niz is right in terms of the access to grounds post-COVID um, restrictions. So important because you see and hear so much more. Even though quite a few of us, myself included, can do most of your work from home, um it is priceless really and any aspiring or um other journalists listening to this um if you can get yourself uh, some accreditation and get into those grounds is is really important um for me i'm not sure if i should be saying this but you you'll have had similar experiences carrie i think it was the opening weekend of the season tottenham hosting manchester city at the tottenham hotspur stadium and I was pitch side for a TV commitment um, pre-match. And uh, I was with the NBC guys and next to us were the Sky guys preparing. And Graham Souness um, made his way around the pitch uh, to the live point. And he was asked to leave by uh, one of the Tottenham stewards. And he was obviously stunned and, and didn't know what was, was going on. They patched it all up and there was a misunderstanding. It was just one of those moments where you think, am I really seeing this? Um, and it was all, in the end, lighthearted fun that I'm sure he wouldn't mind me imparting to our listeners. Graham Stunes, also one of the nicest men in the industry. It's amazing how like people can be quite acid tongues in the studio and you're like but they're the nicest people um i've had i've had stuart pierce not allowed on the wembley pitch not embarrassing at all um <laughs> yeah we get that quite a lot because stewards not, not they're not all just major football fans and they it's not worth their job not to have that person especially with covid and accreditation i've had i have clive allen for a major tottenham game at wembley who's just like yeah, it's the most awkward, but yeah, we're so lucky to work with everyone. I'm noticing how tactile everyone is. Everyone's going in for a hug uh, and because everyone just finally can. It's um, it's a really special moment at the moment. For you, Persty? Mine's nowhere near as entertaining. 
as those two, um, to be fair. What a brave steward that guy was, by the way. Sooner sort of, you know, you know, just chopped him in half back in the day. Um, I just wish it. I just wish that it was being uh, the the NBC yeah. or one of the other broadcasters was live because you had this carry on scene in the background, where, like this legend was being dragged and he was pulling the other way. It would have been quite some television moment. God, it must be yeah, it must be petrified of him. Um, my, yeah, my my one's no idea. It was insane. Is that basically he was and he was. I remember he was game last year and obviously going, going to matches last year was was. You know, we were lucky to go, weren't we? But it was it was terrible as an experience. I just didn't enjoy it whatsoever. But the the only only plus point was the fact that you could sort of hear everything, you know, that was that was, that was going on. Um, uh, and I remember in the, the Man City press box, we were. Uh, for a League Cup game, we were sat in front of the analysts, um, and I think it was against Bournemouth. And Liam Delap had just been given his first start, and he was just like knocking, knocking people like over left, right, and centre, because he was such a powerful um, striker. And one of the analysts like, sat behind me was like, "You know what? That that guy we've got is a wrecking ball, isn't he?" And I just thought, "All right, can I can I actually use that in my copy or not?" Because he was sort of like he, sort of earwigging or eavesdropping. Well, it wasn't because he was, he was quiet. But um, I just thought, oh, I, I didn't end up using it at the end because I thought it's a bit of a, a private conversation. But it is, I, I, I find that whole situation interesting now because the analysts, maybe it's because I'm a bit nerdy, because the analysts are sat in the press box, aren't they? And they're really yeah. kind of getting into it. And you can sort of like listen to what, what they think's happening. And if one of their players misses a, a chance, you know, they'll start banging the table and swearing and stuff, uh, which is obviously not very... Um, you know, it's not you know within the team kind of ethic or whatever. But I, I just I, that's a one one interesting part of of the one of the very few interesting parts of covering uh, football during lockdown. Oh, Hersey, that's a great story. And from a TV angle, I'm just seeing the montage now of uh, Dilap and uh, Miley Cyrus's wrecking ball. Fantastic story. Um, we are going to try and get Hursty into a hotel bedroom so we can get rid of uh, that uh, reception noise. Or at the very least, we're going to get him a coffee. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will be giving you your Premier League weekend preview, which you'll find in the link above from midweek. <laughs> 